Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Thanks for tuning in to a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Been really looking forward to talking with today's guest. He's the associate head coach for the USC Trojans, Coach Chris Capco. Coach, thanks for making some time to talk with us. Yeah, no problem, Tony. Thanks for having me on. We had the privilege of hosting USC for a practice during their trip to Greenville this past March and was able to observe Coach firsthand. And uh, I knew within about five minutes that he was somebody that I wanted to get on. Uh, the communication, the teaching, things that you can tell, not just knew what he was doing, but players responding to him well uh, in that two-hour segment was able to to get a lot done. Uh, what I specifically got to see him do was prepare his team the day before a game. So that's what I wanted to talk most about today was kind of the scout preparation and preparing for an upcoming opponent, and not just for that opponent, but also preparing your team for what they need to do to be able to be successful. So, you know, we were joking right before we got on here, uh, a coach at a school close by to yours, which we will name, uh, keep nameless for the time being. He wasn't super into scouting for upcoming opponents. He was more concerned with what his team was going to do. Uh, yep. wh- where do you stand on your scouting philosophy? Um, I completely, I agree with that. Um, actually, um, I think so many times, as coaches, and I think I've kind of, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at this, but like you want to make adjustments to everything that say your opponent's doing or what's coming up in this game. But I think what starts off with being really good defensively or just really good as a team is what's your foundation? What do you do? And then when you do it, be good at it because I've been a part of teams where you try to do everything and it's just impossible to be good at everything. So I think if you can just kind of figure out what it is that you want to be good at, um, and be good at it, then that's half the battle. Um, but, you know, having said that, then you come into each team is different, right? And each personnel is different. And that team, so you saw us preparing for Miami. And um, Miami obviously had a good tournament run. But what made them different is they really played kind of four guards and then a shooting five who didn't post up at all. And we started a five-man who was a real center, actually a kid from South Carolina. And so one of the decisions we had to make was, do we want to start off the game switching or do we want to kind of go into our typical ball screen defense, which we do, which we've been good at from a two-point perspective, like our two-point defense is one of the best in the country, or do we just want to get into switching and kind of get all these weird matchups and, and, you know, we weren't sure that that was necessarily what we wanted to do. So what we did was stick with our typical ball screen defense that we go into most games with and that actually ended up working for us. We defended really well that game, but that was a decision we had to make based on, you know, really the first time all year we saw a real shooting five, a guy who could really uh, spread the floor, and you really had to guard out there, you know. So, and then on top of that, you know, you goes and sets the screen. Now you're putting a center on really good guards to start the game, you know, and that's – we just felt like do what we do, and then if they make us pay, then we'll have to adjust to it and, and 
luckily they didn't make us pay from that perspective and we really never had to adjust. But yeah, I, I agree with, to get back to that, you know, really, I think, and I think about this all the time when I become a head coach, if I'm fortunate enough to is, you know, you want to figure out what it is you want to be good at and just be really, really good at that. Obviously you have um, counters to that. You're not just going to stay the same all the time, but you just need to figure out what it is that you want to be good at and be really, really good at it. Going even back to that Miami game, did you feel like to that point in the year, like you guys had seen enough, you'd seen it all, that you were able to fall back on some things that you had done previously? Yeah, I mean, we we hadn't really seen a true shooting five like that. We had played guys who can make shots, and we were willing to live with one or two. But, like, he was one, you know, the kid was Sam Wardenberg, who that's what he did. He was a good shooter, and he could really space you out. And, um you know, he didn't post up. There was no really switch between on ball screens. Did he roll? Did he pop? He really didn't roll at all. It was all pops. And so it just was like, well, you know, do you want to start in a switching right off the bat? Or do you want to, you know, just kind of, we, we draw basically everything with our five. So to see a level of shooter from that position, we had not seen that all year, to be honest with you. So then when you talk about a five was popping, you're stunning, you know, and some of the different things that you have to do, we really hadn't had to do a ton. And so, you know, you go into the tournament, you're playing a guy, a guy who can really extend you like that. You want to make sure you're, you're really good in those other areas. So, no, to answer your question, we had not really ran into a guy who had kind of put pressure on us in that regard like we had in that particular game. So, you know, you plan for that leading up to that week, but in, like, game settings, we just hadn't seen that all year. Do you feel like you're scouting and preparing your guys more for, like, what Arizona does or – um, what a particular team does, or do you feel like through the year you're preparing them by guarding actions that once you get to Arizona and they do these things, then you're prepared to guard that action? Yeah, I mean, we so, you know, basically when we're building up our defense as we go through our preseason, um, a lot of it's going to start with individual defense. We don't get out and deny a lot. We're, uh, I don't want to say pack line, but we play the gaps. We don't get out and deny a lot, and we've been big and long on the perimeter, so we want to basically keep everything in front and play the gaps as much as we can. So I say that to say, you know, we start off with guarding the ball and then in all the different spots on the floor what your gap responsibility is. From there, we start to guard pick and roll. A lot of times because we drop, we'll do a lot of two-on-two pick and roll based on how we do things. So obviously, and we do that late in the year, that's like our daily vitamin type deal that we do daily. Cause obviously you see so much pick and roll basketball now. And when you drop the truest sense of it is just playing really good two on two basketball. The less we can get other guys involved, the better off we're with our overall defense. So I say that to say, then we go into guarding different actions and different actions that we know we're going to see throughout the year. And obviously we're more familiar with our league so we'll start to say hey this is how we're guarding this action we'll drill it we're guarding you know the preseason in college basketball is so long you have time to go over all that stuff so we'll start working certain actions and then you get into your season and now you're preparing for what the actions you will see in games so there's no more hey we're just going to guard this action in practice just for the hell of it no you're guarding it because this way you're going to see upcoming right so we'll go through our preseason, probably guard every action you really can. And then we might not get back to it if we don't see it in a game. So like as a pop five, if we weren't seeing that, we really didn't guard it a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? Because we're just going over what it's going to look like um, in the games leading up to that to that week or whatever. Yeah, basically to say we'll guard action so we have a general sense for it. But we're preparing ourselves for basically that opponent up to it and – if you play a lot of man, obviously we're guarding a lot of man throughout the week or, or 
you know, whatever the case may be, obviously you're guarding a lot of pick and roll. So that stuff you're doing, but the general nuances are like the, the small little details of someone's offense. We're not really going over that until we see them or until it's time to prepare for them for that week, because, you know, uh, all the other weeks we're just concerned about what we're going to see within that game as well. How much do you feel like uh, whether it's your offense or defense is driven by personnel for you guys versus just your philosophy in general for those two sides of the ball? Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of what we do is driven by personnel. You know, a lot of our scout comes down to shooter or non-shooter. You know, I think a lot of times we're a team of forces baseline. So whether you're a left-hand driver or right-hand driver, just depends on what side of the floor you're on. Now we do introduce it within our scout just so like, hey, you know, like this guy's a strong left-hand driver. So if you have him on the side of the floor, you know what he's trying to do. You know what I mean? But you're still going to influence the same way, right? And the same thing with shooter, non-shooter. So now, you know, shooter on the ball, how you got to guard him versus shooter off the ball, how you got to guard him versus non-shooter off the ball, how you got to guard him and shooter on the non-shooter on the ball, how you got to guard him. So I think it's pretty detailed in that. Having said that, our shell is still our shell, and we do shell every day, as, a, as do a lot of teams. So we're still going to do what we do. But, you know, obviously there's little details that each different person kind of entails and that you're going to kind of tinker here a little bit. But I think, you know, your personnel based on offense and defense is, you know, each scout. I mean, that's basically what it is. You still run what you run, but then you kind of may introduce a new wrinkle here or a different counter here based on how a team plays you or their personnel defensively going into the game. And so obviously, man, personnel is a huge part of what you do on both sides of the, of the ball. What is your favorite wrinkle that you guys did this year in a scout that you felt like maybe either changed the tide or got you one or two possessions? Um, you know, probably if you watched, you know, in our league, you play every team twice. We played 20 league games. We played Oregon the first time in Galen Center, so our home arena, and uh, we were number five in the country. We had been beaten early in the week by Stanford, and um, so we play Oregon. They come out. We just didn't play well, but – Will Richardson, their best player, um, their all-conference player um, or preseason player of the year, just torched us. I think he had like 27. He was just comfortable the whole game. He played well. He got to his left hand. They had a big guy, Infali Dante, who's seven-footer, and he kind of beat us up in the post a little bit. Had like 14 points, but every time they threw it to him, you know, he went and got a bucket. We were like, okay, you know, they got shooters all around, and we're just going to let him play one-on-one, and we're kind of going to dig a little bit and just try to throw off his rhythm, but we're going to play one-on-one the post and really try to get out the shooters. And they just beat us. They scored 88 points on us, man, and they just, you know, I think we ended up only losing by 10, but they were up double figures. We just didn't stop, and we didn't guard. Um, so then go back to, you know, I want to say the next to last week of the season, we play him at Oregon. And we just made our minds that, man, Will Richardson wasn't going to beat us. And then when the ball in the, goes into the post to Infilet Dante, we're going to guard him a certain way. So we go into that game. He's a left-handed guy. We forced him right at the top of the floor. We had an active. We called hover hand. Every time he touched the ball, our pickup point was different. And I think he only had one made field goal in the, in the home game where we beat them. Mm -hmm. And you could tell our guys were completely locked in. So that was a personnel counter. That really worked. We were more locked into what he did. We were going to guard him a certain way. The same thing with Dante. Now, Dante was a really physical guy that when he got positioned, he was skilled enough that he could get to his right hand and finish. But what he wasn't really skilled at doing is when a, a guy came and kind of dug at the ball or, or stunted at the ball, really being able to make a decision. So we said every time he goes into his dribble, we're going to go, and we're going to go try to steal, and we're going to go active at the ball. And sure enough, every time he went into his move, 
there was guys specifically on the strong side who were trying to dig at the ball and he would pick it up or lose it or try to pass it out. One time he passed it to nobody. <laughs> and uh, you could tell the personnel uh, decisions we made, I thought really, really made a huge difference into how we guarded those guys and into the impact that we had within the game. And because what they were, it wasn't necessarily a team guard. They spread you out and they go one-on-one. And so it is a team guard, but how you guard your yard is the, is the bedrock of that, right? If you're constantly getting beat off the dribble or if our guys are just beating you one-on-one, it's really hard to, to, to beat them. So you got to take pride in guarding your yard and guarding guys one-on-one. And I thought we did a much better job in doing it a different way against both Will Richardson and Dante. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you can get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal shooting percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. So you've already given examples of defending a system like Miami's yep. and then guarding play, uh, defending players. What yep. do you feel like is more challenging, defending or preparing for? It doesn't even mean you know defending. It could be somebody that changes the game defensively. But you know, preparing for a really dominant player or a system that's maybe somewhat unique. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's a good question, man. Honestly, and I don't know if I have the answer for you. I know one thing, you know, like we would say Arizona, and Arizona was really good offensively this year, really good. And we would always say you had to score to beat them. And, you know, you were you could defend them, but you weren't going to defend them throughout the duration of the game enough. You were just going to beat them 60 to 58. Now, Houston proved that they could do that. We weren't capable of doing that. But not a lot of teams were. There was only a handful of teams who could do that to them. So I say that to say good offense beats good defense, in my opinion. And if you have a really dynamic player, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do at times. His one-on-one offense is just going to beat you because good offense will beat good defense. So now you got to throw two at him sometimes. Is that trapping a ball screen? Is that just running or jump? Is that double him in the post? And then if he's really good, he can pass out of that and you're in rotation. So I would say it probably starts with a really good player because if you have a really, really good player, and there's only a few of them in college basketball, right, who are just so good offensively, um, they can just kill you on their own. Um, But, you know, if you have that, we had one in Evan Mobley, and Evan was really good. He was the player of the year in our league, and you had to double him. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's one thing to guard our system, but you had to account for how you were going to guard Evan too. You know what I mean? So when you got that and you got a guy who demands a double, man, you know, he's just always creating opportunities for you. You know, on the flip side of that, if you got a system, like I thought Arizona had a real system, but what they had out of that was multiple guys who can make decisions. Um, they played at such a pace. Um, and they had guys who, who could, no matter how you guarded them, they had counters for everything. You know, if you wanted to go under the ball screen so you wouldn't get two on the ball, they had guys who could make shots. Um, they could isolate you with Ben Mather, and he was one of those guys who could go get his own basket. If you wanted to hard hedge the ball screen because they had a shooter, they would just slip out of it and uh, they would slip out of it and they hit you at the rim. If you wanted to switch five, 
All they do, they they pop a four, and the four just throw it over the top to the five man. They had a passing four who can make that pass. Um, so they had a counter for everything you wanted to do in their system, and that was tough to guard. But I think it started with a really good, with really good individual players and guys who had really good individual strengths, and then they were even tougher to guard within their system. So that begs the question. And as the game has changed, because you've been in it for a while now, what is the most difficult thing to do in preparation, or what's the hardest thing to prepare for? that teams are doing in today's game? Hmm. The hardest thing to prepare for, um, you know, I'm just trying to think. I think is it as simple as what you just said? Like when you have a really good system and a lot of good players, that's hard. To- yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's one thing that's hard, but when you have just good players who move the ball and play well together, I just think that's hard to prepare for, right? Teams who really share the ball because the ball moves faster than, the defense can move. So if you got a team who shares it, and I think passing is just like an underrated skill that no one talks about enough. Obviously, we all appreciate it when you got it, but when you really have people who got it or you have a team who does it, you're really, really tough to stop. So I don't, I'm just trying to think of one thing that we see that's really, really hard to prepare for. And we're like, man, this is tough. Especially in like the tournament where you have such good, good players matched up on both sides of the ball. It still seems to me like teams are still struggling guarding multiple things, multiple actions, where they have to guard one thing and immediately guard something else. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair, but it's, it's you know, I'm trying to think of a specific example of it and one that we maybe faced where it was just like multiple options on multiple plays. And um, I don't think there's one specific thing that, you know, what this is what, as we go into it, we know that we got to guard. It seems like a lot of teams, too, are using, to your point about, like, ball movement, but they're really utilizing space and creating extra space on the floor that then forces kind of like those dominoes of the next guy, and then the good passing teams really make you pay. Yeah, I mean, again, like, that was one of our fatal flaws this year is we just weren't a great passing team, and we wanted Mm -hmm. to dribble the ball, and I think because of that, we were easy to guard. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, when you look at Arizona, Arizona led the country in assists by far, and away i want to say 20 assists as a team which is incredible and that's just what made everything that they did hard to guard you know what i mean you guard the pick and roll in so many different ways and they pick you apart with their passing and then they had shot making to go with it and that's what made it tough but arizona had passing at four different spots and then when they would go small they had passing at five different spots Mm -hmm. you know so i think from our standpoint in terms of guarding specific teams the toughest team to guard in our league was arizona one they were really good but the way the pace with which they moved their offense and the way they passed the ball is what made them really, really difficult. On the flip side of that, like we played San Diego State in the in the beginning of the year, got into a real shootout with them. We won 58-43. And I say that sarcastically, <laughs> but you know, they basically had one playmaker. They were a physical team. They were great defensively. They lacked shooting and they lacked playmaking. So we just sit in our gaps and it didn't really matter what they ran. You know what I mean? They had some continuity stuff that they did, but based on their personnel, really wasn't that tough to guard. It's not like a knock on them. It was just the personnel for what they were trying to do said, man, we could really sit in our gaps. We could switch everything, load up to the ball, contest um, or force it out on the shot, you know, con- or challenge short, uh, make sure we can test shots. And then we're, what we really have to do is you have to rebound the ball, you know, to limit opportunities and things like that. But I just think, yeah, passing the ball is such an underrated skill. I'm getting more into the individual portion of it. But when you got teams who can really pass, if you got a guy now who can break you down and pass the ball, now it gets the ball moving. Now you're in rotation. Now you're moving. And they're constantly taking advantage of the mismatch and of the, the defense moving 
And usually you can get the shot you want when you got unselfish guys like that. So I, I think the million dollar question is what I always get and what I always am asked is at what point does the amount of information that you're giving to your players become detrimental to them yeah. actually knowing what they're supposed to do? Yeah, that, that's, that is a million dollar question. And I don't have a good answer for you other than I think you go off the field. You know what I mean? And um, I think it goes back to what you asked before, like, when you go into it, do you feel like you do all these different things or do you feel like you're really good at what you do? And I think it goes to what you tell your team. Like if you want to, hey, we're going to guard the ball screen this way, this way, this way, and this way. Well, are your teams ever going to get really good at it? So you only have maybe one way that you do it and you have a counter if they're, if they're beating you. Well, the same thing like when you go into your scout now, like if that's what you rely on, you only guard the ball screen two different ways, then that's probably, you know, the best way to do it. I think when we go into our scouts, we only really show about three different actions, you know, so our guys can get good at it. But if we're going to show every single play, our guys aren't going to remember that anyways. You know what I mean? So we just kind of go over the actions that we're going to see and the actions that we got to guard. And you try to use, if we play a Pac-12 game on a Thursday, we have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to get ready for about three actions. You know what I'm saying? About three different actions. When we play baseline out of bounds, we basically play baseline out of bounds one way. Some people play baseline out of bounds two ways. Now it's two different ways that you got to go over how you're going to guard that. On top of, are you going to go over how you got to guard it three different ways out of the pick and roll? Are you going to guard the post two different ways? Are you going to, you know what I mean? So I don't have an answer. I don't think anyone has this solid answer saying this is how much we give them. Other than I think you got to have a feel for your team. How mature are they? Are they an older team? Are they a younger team? Now, based on the preseason, what does it look like they can handle? And then based, you know, what you do going off that. But I think to me, Tony, a lot of it goes back to, again, what do you want to really be good at? What do you think your team can handle? Be really good at that and then use that as your basically your baseline as you go throughout the season. If you're constantly switching up what you do throughout the year or you're constantly switching up how much you give your guys, I think some of it also you got to be realistic, realistic as to what do you think your guys are, you know, actually reading. Like we just PDF our guys a scout with basically personnel. We don't write up plays for them. Our guys aren't sitting in the room just looking at diagram plays. It's not mm -hmm. happening. You know what I mean? So I think you just got to be realistic about what they're doing and what they're not doing. But I do think they know personnel. They remember if a guy's a left-hand driver, if he's a shooter or a non-shooter, if he likes to pump fake, get you out of the air. So I think I do think they remember that stuff. But I think a lot of it is you just got to be realistic as to kind of what it is and what your team can handle and know your team and just have a feel for them. Uh, last thing that I'll ask here, this is in relationship to just you as the coach and maybe for younger coaches out there or just coaches looking to improve the process, but what's the biggest mistake that you've made or in relationship to scouting or that you see coaches make? And then what's maybe the biggest piece of advice for creating a success, successful scout? I think trying to do too much. I think just trying to be overkill. First of all, I think your guys, I think you got to find the balance of being detailed, but not giving too much. Right. Cause you know, when you get into college, your kids are older kids. If you got an older team of 21, 22, 23, in some cases now this year, 24 years old, they can tell when you don't know what's going on. So I think you need to be detailed. I think also when you go into a scout, talk to your head coach and, and I probably, this is probably the biggest thing, Tony, but when you go in there and you're explaining to your guys in film what you're guarding or what you're watching, be ready to tell them how you're going to guard it. Don't have a kid ask you and say, hey, how are we guarding this? You're like, um, you know, we're going to do this, but then we're going to do this. Or, coach, what do you think? No, talk to your head coach. Obviously, it's his decision. But you talk to him and you know with conviction how you want to guard that or what you want to do or how we're going to attack this offensively. But you need to be 
detailed in what you're doing and be on the same page as your coach. So when a guy asks you in film and put you on the spot, you got to be ready to answer and tell them exactly how you want to do that. Now, you know, it could be you get done with film and coach is like, I don't know if I want to do this this way. Let's see how this looks on the court. But you always want to have an answer for as to how you want to do things so your players know what you're talking about and you spent the time and they know that you're locked in and stuff like that. So that would be my biggest thing is know exactly. First of all, don't be overkill with them. Condense what you want, but but get to the point. And then two, know exactly how you want to guard things or exactly what you want to get across to your guys. So you look like you have a plan and you have a purpose for what you're trying to get across in your scout. Let me ask this, like, yeah. does yours look different or do you have information that you don't give the players that you feel like is still important that you know, but not necessarily that they know? Yeah, yeah. so um, probably what the only thing we don't give the players is like on the last day. So when we get to the game day is when we'll go over like quick hitters or, hey, we've seen a team do this under two minutes or we've seen a team do this late. And we'll walk through it on the day of the game about how to walk you know, how to guard this or what we're going to do on this specific action. We won't really do it leading up to it. So that's kind of what we don't give the players. You know, basically we'll have plays that on the defensive side of it or as we're attacking their defense, plays that we think that we're going to work, we will give that to them. I'll have another uh, extension of plays probably that I'll give coach that I'll talk to him about that we'll say, hey, you know, we didn't necessarily run through 20 plays with our guys, but these may be games that ATO after a timeout or out of a timeout that we feel like we can kind of get them on but that we didn't have to run 25 plays for our guys and, and shoot around or whatever. But, you know, cause as we go into a scout, we probably key in on like 10 plays, 10 to 12 plays that we think are going to work. But then I'll have some other plays in my back pocket that we've had in our playbook that, you know, maybe I think this could work or maybe we just throw a wrinkle here, a wrinkle there, but there's not too much that we go into a scout that I don't really tell them that I feel like they need to get across. We don't, you know, we're not going over free throw shooters unless they're super poor and we feel like, hey, if he gets an angle on you, you got to hack him, send him to the line. But, you know, they don't need to know everyone's free throw percentage. So there's not too much that we withhold from them. You know, the be- I guess the best advice to get back to your question that I can give someone is just be as prepared as possible. Really know the ins and outs of that team. You know, I think if a coach entrusts you with a scout, you owe it to him to be super locked in. Usually my my rule of thumb is I try to watch their five previous games, but then I go back and the way synergy is now where you can just go through possessions and I'll watch all the baseline out of bounds. I'll go back through their late games. I'll check all their late game plays, two minutes and under. I'm not showing our guys that like I told you throughout the week, but on our game day, as we go through our walkthrough, I will discuss if I see that there's a play late game they've gone through, at least I've showed them and I have things written down. Okay, late game, they ran this, they ran this. And so now, okay, two point game with 30 seconds left. Okay, all right. And I'm telling them actions to be prepared for, or if I feel strongly about it, we'll tell, talk about in the huddle exactly how we want to guard that. Yeah. You know, but so I, th- I just think the biggest thing with any scout is just be the most prepared you can. On the flip side of like, you know, how much do you not give your guys? One thing we're not here is we don't, we don't really call around and ask for play calls. You know, we don't expect our guys to know them, to be honest with you. <laughs> if we have them, what we do is because we play Pac-12 teams twice, we do write down the play calls from the first time and we go back. So now the second time we have them, at least, okay, we have a feel for it. But like, we're not calling a team who played them the first game of the year. Hey, give me your play. You know, do you mind sending me their play calls? Because honestly, we're not expecting our guys to remember them. So I just, that's another one which is like, you know, your guys between knowing your baseline out of bounds, offense, your sideline out of bounds, offense, your zone offense, your man-to-man offense. Now you expect them to know that team's offense, you know, so. But we will, like I said, we will keep play calls when we play a team. And now, you know, like every team in the league, like we had an older veteran team, right? 
they've played these teams enough and some of them do the same things every year. So like our older guys now know what a certain team does. So now when we play them, we do have a play call and they can reference back to it. You know what I'm saying? But like a non-conference team who we don't see a lot, we're not going to spend a lot of time on trying to get their play calls and trying to give them to our guys and just give them one more thing to remember. You know, remember, we're going to go over their actions, try to be prepared for their actions of what we got to guard, being really good at what we do. And if we still happen to pick up a play call against them, then great, we have that. But it's not something we're going to spend a lot of time and energy on. Less is more is what, yeah. what I've frequently found. To your yeah. point, they uh, my guys have a hard enough time rem- remembering our place, let alone yeah. remember the other team's place. Yeah. Yeah, a ton of practical stuff. That's Coach Chris Capco, Associate Head Coach for the USC Trojans. Coach, thanks again for taking some time to come on the show. Thank you.